Thank you for coming today ready to worship. It's been an excellent day, both services. There's been a different atmosphere here this morning. I don't know if you felt it, but I certainly have experienced it myself. And, you know, for corporate worship to work, to honor our great God, we have to bring to him our life of worship. That's when it really crackles, when we gather together and we've brought our experiences this week of worshiping our great God and we combine them together and God meets with us. Thank you, Jesus, Lord, who would meet with us. What a privilege and an honor it is for us to have the Lord to meet with us and to, uh, to uh, allow us to worship him. And so it's been good to, to worship with you this morning and offer up praises to him. He's a great God, isn't he? And he's worthy to be praised. And, and uh, this is a great time of the year for us. I, I think as we, as, we, as we build to Easter and, and, and share with our community the good news of salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ, it sort of starts a cascade of really important events that, that continue on at Calvary right through to, to the end of July and, and deep into the summer. And, and uh, so I would encourage you to be in prayer and to... To, be at the, uh, to bring your A game to worship every day of your lives and, and when we gather here together as well. Uh, because um, um, coming up, and uh, of course, tonight is our, is our gathering with our children. It's going to be a great event tonight. And uh, of course, I'm, I so look forward to our choir concert every year. That's going to be a fantastic event in a couple of weeks from now. And so I would encourage you to invite friends. We really look forward to that. And, um, and then our Fire Up the Grill Day in, J- in June with Big Bay Forest is going to be here. And if, if you have friends or family that don't know the Lord, uh, Bay knows the Lord. And, and he'll help you to know who the Lord is. And so it'll be a great day here with uh, music and, and uh, seeking in particular to reach out to the, to the men of our community and to encourage them to be here and bring their families. Men have got to take leadership in, in the cause of Christ, you know, and... And so uh, our, our desire is to see men's hearts turn to Jesus Christ and then turn to their families, and their families will turn to Christ. And then we continue on as, as we look forward to our day camp that's coming up. It's going to be a fantastic camp this year, uh, extended to three weeks. There's going to be some cool things. We've got, what, archery and bike and, and low nets and stuff I don't, low ropes, stuff I don't even know about. And uh, low rope sounds good to me. It sounds like I could reach it. And so... Uh, I'm thinking that that might be a cool thing. We've got our vacation Bible school coming up in July. So listen, you've got to be in prayer. We've got to be in a state of worship. And, and frankly, I don't want to come here if God doesn't meet us here. I mean, that's, that's why we gather here, isn't it? We come here because God meets us here. And, and I look so forward to our gathering together um, and, and to, uh, to feel the presence of God among us. So, so uh, we're looking forward to that. And then, and then we've got a team going off to Turkey to do ministry with our partners over there. And uh, by the way, our choir concert is really a, bene- a, a, a benefit concert for our team. In particular, um, we want to be able to make it possible for no kid at Turkey to be left behind. And, and so we want to raise some money so that kids there and the leadership there can be financed to the camp that we want to bring when we go over there. So I'm just giving you a heads up on, on uh, that, the concert that's coming up. And uh, we're hoping that you'll bring your checkbook and, and, uh, and be involved in, um, in uh, uh, the benefit uh, for our, our turkey team that's coming up. So those are a couple of the exciting things that are going on and, and uh, what are really ex- uh, um, ca- are cause for celebration but cause for prayer. And, and let's, as I said, bring our A game. Well, um, 
I want to talk to you this morning about something that I think is perhaps the most significant, important revelation in the scriptures. Um, all of the scriptures, of course, are, are God-breathed, and, and everything's absolutely important and vital because it is the Word of God, but there is perhaps no um, more stunning and significant revelation in the Word of God than what I want to talk to you about this morning. And I want to begin a series this morning uh, about the idea of, um, of name and, and how, that, how important that is. I, I was walking around the congregation before the service began this morning, just sort of checking out names, because... Um, Generally, when we, when we want to describe uh, people who have a relationship with one another, we will often, if we believe that they know each other fairly well, we'll, we'll say or describe them as they're on a first-name basis. You, you've heard that before, right? Say, so, well, how, how, well, how well do they know each other? Oh, man, they're on a first-name basis. So they know each other very well. So I was floating around the congregation here when people were coming in, and, and I met um, uh, Kirk and Vanessa, and, 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 I, and I re-met uh, Laura uh, Martin, I was like, um, you know, I walk around, I, I, when I don't see the kids with their parents, I'm like, I don't, what, you know, what kid is this? Whose kid is this? You know, I'm like, um, hi, remind me of your name again. She's like, Laura. But she was actually very nice about it. She was very nice about it. It's like, we've met 500 times, you know? Like, what's your problem? Well, when you're not with your family, you know? If you don't look a lot like your kids, like, like when Brad Muscle's kid walks up, like, I'd, I never have to ask who, like, he's like little Brad. It's like, it's very simple. But if you don't look like, you know, and so, so we say, hey, you're in a first name basis. You know, as I've been working with people over the years and getting to know them in, in terms of, of spiritual things, I've come to the conclusion that people don't really know who Jesus is. And they sure don't know him on a first name basis. Because if they knew who Jesus was, they would live differently. And, and uh, the psalmist tells us how critical and how important this is in Psalm 9 verse 10. It says there, those who know your name will trust you. That's a significant and key verse in the scriptures. Those who know your name will trust you. The implication of the psalmist is those who really know the name of God will trust him. And the converse of that is those who don't know his name will not. Those who know the name will trust him. Those who know your name will trust him instead of living in fear or living in anger or living in anxiety or living in hopelessness or living in distress or living in despair or loneliness or dread or self-reliance. Our lives and the lives of people who know the name are shaped differently because they know him. Now, of course, in Hebrew... To know a name in, in, in Hebrew, Hebrew is, sh if you say the person's name, it's shorthand for character. They didn't just wake up one day and have a, a baby and then say, ah, what are we going to name it? Uh, let's name it McGillicuddy. The, the, the Hebrew mindset was not like that. It was the name had a significance because the name would describe the hoped-for character. The vision and mission statement of a person's life was wrapped up in their name. Eve, the mother uh, of, uh, of all living. The name Abraham, the father of all nations. That's what the names meant. They, they gave character to it, a description of reality. Now, if Psalm 9:10 is true, and I believe it is because it's God's word, 
And it's important, vitally important, that those who know your name will trust you. I want to make sure you know his name. I want to make sure over these next number of weeks that we do a serious study on the name. Jesus asked those around him one day, his disciples, who do people say, I am? Mark chapter 8, verse 30, uh, 27. And, and uh, of course, in Luke, he said the same thing. Who do the crowds say, I am? And, of course, they responded, well, people say, you're Elijah, you're this or you're that. And, and then, of course, he looked at them and he said, but who do you say that I am? Jesus, knowing full well, it mattered that they knew. It mattered that they knew his name, on whom they were calling, on whom they were confessing. See, the people in our culture, the people around us, don't know who Jesus is. And often because they don't have a starting point, because they don't know who God is. Not on a first name basis, for sure. Jesus looked at his critics one day in John chapter 8, verse 56 to 58, and he said to them, before Abraham was which at that time would have been 2,500 years before, I am. Now, Jesus gave enough hints as to the name and what is the name and what is the importance of the name. But I want to ask you this morning, do you know the name of Jesus? You're saying, well, wait a second, didn't you just give it to us? The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Philippians, he said, therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did you catch it? The name? What is the name of Jesus? Well, actually, the prophet Isaiah, from where, in fact, Paul is quoting, in describing the Old Testament God, says this in Isaiah 45, verse 22, turn to me and be saved. Before me, every knee will bow. By me, every tongue will confess. They will say of me, in the Lord alone are righteousness and strength. The Apostle Paul attributes this description of the Old Testament God of the universe to Jesus himself. The name of God, the name of Jesus, the same name. Now when Jesus delivered his final earthly sermon on the Sea of Galilee, on the side, on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he outlined his sermon this way. Most of you know it. Matthew 28, 18, 19, 20. He said, I, I am all authority of the universe. And I'm telling you, therefore, to go, make disciples, baptize them, and teach them. To do whatsoever things I've commanded you. I am going with you always. 
That was the outline of the commission that he gave to the church. Maybe you don't know that he had preached that sermon 1,300 years before he preached it on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. You're saying, wait a second. Oh, it's the same thing that he said to the Pharisees that were around him when he said, before Abraham was, I am. 2,500 years before. 1,300 years before this sermon, he gave the very same sermon outline to a man named Moses. Would you turn in your Bibles this morning with me to Exodus chapter 3? This sermon, by the way, was his intention to save sermon. His intention to save sermon. And in this sermon, he reveals his name. Exodus chapter 3. I want to read the whole chapter to you this morning. Our Father, as we open up the Word of God today... I pray that you would cause this room to crackle with your presence. You have already. Lord Jesus, thank you for being here. It's been an amazing thing and a privilege and an honor for us to know that we have been in the presence of the Lord and are in the presence of the Lord. And our Father, I pray this morning because this is so vital and so important because those who know your name trust you. Lord, I pray that you would reveal yourself afresh to us. I pray that you would visit us with your power. I pray, Father, that you would transform our lives. I pray, Father, that we would be never the same because of encountering you all over again today. I pray that you would cause your word to lodge itself in our hearts in such a way, Father, that we will live a life of service and worship to you. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Exodus chapter 3, this chapter, and by the way, I want you to look there's a, there's a couple of miracles here. I want you to decide what is the greatest miracle that, is show, that, that, that appears in this chapter. Uh, but let's, uh, let's start here. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horab, the mountain of God, or Mount Sinai. Uh, the same mountain. They had two different names in, in the Old Testament described two, two different ways, Sinai or Horab. And by the way, the pictures that we're showing today are actually from... A, a time that uh, we, were, we had the opportunity to be on Mount Sinai. It was a great, great experience to be there. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. By the way, who is this that is appearing to Moses? The angel of the Lord. Uh, whenever you have this, this fire, pre it's a symbol of the presence of God. It's the same as at Pentecost. When there were tongues of fire that, that, uh, that appeared, it's the presence of God, the messenger of God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. God is making his appearance here. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn. And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, note, note this, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, Moses. I somehow think he, he had a deeper voice than that. I, I think he might have sounded more like Dwayne, you know. It was more like Moses, you know. It was more like, it, was, it had to be something that, was, that caught his attention more. And Moses said, note this, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. By the way, this is the first time in the Old Testament that the word holy ever is mentioned. Holy meaning different than common. 
Then he said, I am the God of your father, Moses. I'm not a new God appearing here. I am the same God. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, 1,500 or 1,000 years before you, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them, to save them from the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land into a good and a spacious land, to change their lives, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. By the way... Um, when, when I, I was with a group of, of our brothers and sisters, some of them who are here, when we had the opportunity to go to Egypt and see these places with our own eyes, we had this tour guide by the name of Osama. He was a big, big dude. And he says, I'm the good Osama, not the bad Osama. And so that kind of put our minds a little bit at ease. But then he, he opened his mouth and I realized, yeah, but he doesn't know Jesus. He, he was um, uh, an archaeological uh, professor from the University of Cairo. And, and he did tour, uh, tour guiding on the side because the university professors there have to moonlight because they don't make enough money. And, and so he's out there and he has this big stack. Remember, he's always drawn in the sand. And he's drawn all these pictures about uh, the third kingdom and the second kingdom and the fourth kingdom one here. And, was, and we were looking at it saying, I don't know talking about. But one of the things that he said that really drove me crazy was he said, oh, by the way, I need to tell you about Israel and, and our relationship with them, which is very sad. He says, because it's based on faulty history. He says, in, in fact, um, the Israelites, they were farmers. They were agrarian, an agrarian culture. And, and he says, during the growing season, of course, they stayed in their own land and grew crops and all of that. But then they needed extra jobs when the growing season was off. And so they came to Egypt and we hired them. We gave them part-time jobs. And they got to work here and make some extra money so they could take back and, and grow their crops and all this. And we're looking at them going like, are you crazy Culture by culture rewrites history. Those who don't know him, according to God's word, Israel was in slavery and oppressed and abused for 400 years. And so the text continues. Note the Sermon outline from Matthew. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt. And God said, I will be with you and this will be a sign to you. That it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God in this mountain. And Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell you? God has a name? Yes, he has a name. Are you ready? Here it is. God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. 
God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. The great I am. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And the elders of Israel will listen to you. And then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. What is the biggest miracle there? Well, a lot of you would say, a burning bush that doesn't consume itself. I would submit to you that the greatest miracle that appears in this text is that God can so control people that he can cause women to give their jewelry away to others. That to me is the greatest miracle that happens in this text. God says, I want you to go and I want you to ask the Egyptian women to give you their jewelry and they're going to give it to you and you can leave this land. So great was the sacking, so great was the plunder. God is a name. And by the way, his name is not God. His name is not Allah. His name is not Dagon. His name is not Shamash. His name is not Baal. His name is I Am. That's God's name. That's his personal name. He's not a generic God. He's a personal God, a specific person. And those who know his name trust him. Now, um, you'll note here that God revealed his name in the context of what he was about to do. That's what a name is all about. The true name is the name that describes the character and describes the vision and describes the mission and describes not only who he is, but what he does. And, and with the time that's left this morning, I want to give you three crucial realizations and turning points that must occur in every person's life that are represented here and will give us at the same time a picture of the greatness of who God is. And the first turning point is based upon the call of Moses from God. It says that God called, verse 4, to Moses personally. He called him by name, Moses, Moses. And Moses' response was this. Here I am. I would submit to you that that's how personal our God is. Our God is a God who calls people to himself. That's why he said to his disciples, that's why Jesus said to his disciples and handed down his marching orders to the church, disciple, in order that discipling will take place, go, baptize, Teach, 
Go to them. I'm going to make myself known to people. Go find those people who I make myself known to, and they will respond. He makes himself known to us. And I ask you the question this morning, has God made himself known to you? Has God called you, and have you responded to him? Here I am. You see, there's two possibilities. Either you have responded, here I am, or you have turned from him and said, I am on my own, and I don't need you. The first turning point and the most critical turning point that will ever happen in your life is where you personally respond to a personal God who personally calls you. He calls you to himself. He invites you into his family. Those who call in the name of the Lord will be saved. And Moses responds, here I am. When God came calling, he responded. God revealed his name in the context of what he was about to do. He was about to save Israel out of the hands of Egypt, out of slavery, and take them into a new life. In every way, it pictures the whole idea of rescue and salvation. It's no different than what happens, what God continues to do. God is continuing to be a saving God who takes us out of the slavery of our sinfulness and out of our self-centeredness and gives us a new life. That's what God does. He calls people to himself. But what I notice as I slip down to verse 11, and we've looked at all the other details, but I notice that Moses responds, and this is the response that comes from the second critical and crucial and key turning point in a person's life. The first is the response to God, to respond that I am, I am here, I, here I am. But the second comes out of this. Moses said to God, who am I? Who am I? Now, by the way, this wasn't an identity crisis. Moses wasn't standing before God saying, I don't know who I am. That's not it at all. It's that God had come to him and had already said to him what he wanted Moses to do. I'm sending you to Pharaoh and you're going to be my servant and the obedience that you offer to me is going to be used to rescue a whole people group out of slavery, out of the hands of Egypt. That's what I'm doing. That's what I'm, God says, that's what I'm going to do with your life. And Moses is not dealing with an identity crisis here. He's dealing with a resource crisis. Who am I? And this is a critical and crucial moment in each of our lives where we come to the place in our lives where we ask the question, am I it? Am I enough? Can I do this? Can I handle this? Can I handle the great commission assignment that God has given to me? Can I teach my Sunday school class? Can I serve the Lord? Can I witness to the person at work at the workplace? Am I enough? Who am I? And what's more, when I come to them, they're going to say to me, who do you think you are? I can't tell you the number of times that 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 basic response has been directed toward me. Who in the world do you think you are to tell me that the way I'm living is not in accordance with the way God wants me to live? Who do you think you are? And that's what Moses was concerned about. That's what the discussion he was having with God. You're sending me to do this, and the people are going to say, who do you think you are? The most crucial, the second most critical thing you come to in your life is to come to the place where you finally realize, here I am, but I am not. I am nothing. I don't bring much to the table. Now, by the way, 
if you're noting here, you'll notice that God really doesn't even answer Moses' question of who Moses is. Until we come to the place in our lives where we realize it doesn't really matter who we are. We will never be entirely useful to God. It doesn't matter what you bring to the table. It doesn't matter how much or how little you bring to the table. That's why God says, well, I'm not answering your question because I will be with you, Moses. The answer to your question is, I will be with you. And I am sending you. But, but if you must know, if you, if you must know my name, rank, and serial number, I'm prepared to give it to you. But I want you to know, in life, it doesn't matter. You know, so often people come and say, I don't know what God can use me for. I, I, I bring nothing. That's precisely what God wants. Bring nothing. Just say, here I am to God. That's what he wants. And so he um, redirects him to the right question that he wants to reveal. In verse 13, by, as Moses has said, suppose I go to the Israelites and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Now, by the way, um, Moses also knew that the people were well aware that God had seemed to have forsaken them. Years had passed. Generations had passed. Where was God? And suddenly now he's going to rescue us? Suddenly now this, this guy shows up by the name of Moses and he's going to lead us out of the hands and the prisons of the most powerful nation then in the world? Why should we believe that? That God is going to take you out of your addictions, out of the clutches over the years and years that you have, the, the tentacles that Satan has in your life over years and years. And all of a sudden, he's calling my name, and all I have to say is, here I am, and he's going to save me, he's going to rescue me, he's going to change my life. The turning point in this third key moment is will you believe that God can accomplish what he is proposing? Here I am, I am not, but what can he do? What can he do? Who is he? Who is this one who is calling me? What is his name? Because his name tells me what he can do. Now, by the way, as God has said to Moses, I will be your resource, he also said, I will give you a sign. Don't you always wish God would give you a sign? I mean, I feel like, God, could you just give me a sign for everything? You want me to do this? Give me a sign. You want me to do that? Give me a sign. And so I'm here, I'm all, you know, I'm all eyes when I'm reading this. I'm looking, oh yeah, thanks. Moses gets a sign. I never get any signs. Do you see the sign? The sign is 
When the people are worshiping on Sinai, you got your sign. Wait a minute, I want something right now. I want to know that I should, enjoy, I should join in on this gig because I'm not sure I want to. So I want a sign right now that tells me, I, no, no, that, that's not how God works. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You must first believe that he is. Isn't that an interesting statement? I am, he is, I exist, and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, who obey him. Moses, you're going to get your sign if you obey me. And by the way, this isn't as much a rescue operation as it is a worship showdown. And it's always this. God is more committed to his glory than he is to your salvation. And I want to explain what that means because your salvation is a package deal with his glory. But let's understand this. The God of the universe had allowed his people to be enslaved and imprisoned under the power and authority of the greatest human nation in the world of that day. Who were, by the way, benefiting and empowered by a pantheon of gods. Who were holding on to God's people. And God comes to Moses. Yahweh comes to Moses. I am comes to Moses. And he says, go tell Pharaoh. Go tell the most powerful man in the world. That I want my people to go out and have a picnic a few days away from here. And have a church service. And I'm tired of the audacity of an Egyptian people who are serving a pantheon of lesser gods. Who even deify their own human leader. Holding on to what is rightfully mine. And it is come salvation day. Rescue day is here. Worship showdown day is here. I want you to tell Pharaoh that I want my people to be freed to worship me. And I'm going to go to any extent I have to to make it so. And that's what he's done in your lives as well. When God has come calling in your life, it is more a worship showdown than it is a salvation operation. Oh, yes, he saves us that we might worship him with all of our hearts and all of our minds and all of our soul and all of our body. Because the gates of hell cannot prevail and withstand the will of God to save and to rescue. What is his name? His name is I am who I am, the great I am. His name is Yahweh. Yahweh, Yeshur, Yahweh says in the text, repeats his name. I am who I am, I am. And by the way, so sacred was that word, that name, so reverent was that name treated by the Hebrews that, that they never, ever allowed it to come out of their lips. You will never hear the Hebrews say Yahweh. You see, if Yahweh were to have been written in the scriptures, it would have been, we would have read everywhere Y-A-H-W-E-H. -E but instead, they called him Adonai, 
Whenever they saw that word inscripted, they wouldn't say it. They rather said Adonai. But by the way, we've done the same thing in the English translation. The word appears here and translated into the word I am. But everywhere the word I am appears in the scriptures has been translated Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. We don't even say it. Rather than take the Lord's name in vain. Does he want us to say his name? Yeah, I think he does. Because the name Yahweh, I am, appears in the Old Testament text 6,800 times. The name for God, Elohim or El, appears 2,800 times. So you tell me, his personal name is 6,800 plus times. The generic name God is 2,800 times. God wants to be known as a personal God. He is a personal God. He is the great I am. He is. I am that I am. Let me just let your mind just expand to the real realization of how great and how big and how amazing God is. He is the distinct difference between being, he, he is the real God versus all the pretenders. When he says, I am that I am, other ways of saying it, I am being that I am being. I declare myself to be and I will be. There is no other source of my being. I report to no other God. When God says all of this, this is what he is saying to him. I am the source of my own isness. I, I mean, we, we can't with words describe fully how this plays out, but he is the one who always is versus those who are not. He is constant. He is unchanging. He is eternally always. He is continually acting. He is always present and in the present, in the past, present, and future. He is the eternally existent one. Only God can really explain what God is like. But by what he says and does in his revelation, he expresses to us that he is the great I am. So in light of that, as we close it down this morning, so now what? The three most important and critical turning points in your life are to respond to the personal call of God with here I am and to come, in the come to the place in your life where you realize I am not. And the third is to know who God is by what he does, by his name, I am. And so, as we understand what are the applications of this, who God is, he tells us that he is the God who is concerned about his people. That's what we learn. I am concerned about my people. God is concerned about you. God is, I, God is the I am who is concerned about you. And maybe many of you have experienced, not for multiple generations, but certainly great length of time of darkness and pain and struggling and 
seeming silence or abandonment by God and wondering where he is. The same as Israel was. He is the great I am. He's not abandoned you, nor is he gone away. No matter how absent it might have seemed. So where was his power? Where is he? Where was he when I needed him? All I can say is I understand the reality of this name. I realize that the I am means he was completely aware of all you are and all you need and all you've gone through. The why question of delays in our lives are a different question altogether. But I do know this. There's at least a hint in Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God, by this oppression that he allowed to come into their lives, orchestrated it so that their hearts would turn from lesser gods and call out to the God of the universe, the only God who could help them. And, and so the delays in our lives are what God allows to be in our lives. The, the why question are the possible many answers, but at least the possible answer is that he's weaning you from lesser gods till you get to the place in your life where you say, what are these gods doing for me? What are these things doing for me? I'm in misery. I'm in need. I need God. And that God, is the God who says, I am concerned about my people. He is the one who says, I am sending you. He is a God who promises to be directing in our lives. He is a God who says, I am with you. I am with you. Always. I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. I was reading um, um, from uh, Francis Chan's new book, uh, or reasonably new book, Forgotten God. He was talking about the Korean people. There were a group of Korean Christians. Remember they were captured by the Taliban? A couple years ago. And two of them were martyred. Do you remember? Does anybody remember this? Yeah. He says that um, their testimony to a person was that they had never, ever in their lives before and not since experienced the presence of God like they did when they were under the duress and life-threatening captivity thinking they were all going to die at the hands of the Taliban. So much so that they get, when they get together in reunion, they often say to each other, I hate to say this in, in, the, in the physical sense, but... I almost feel like I wish we could go back and be captives of the Taliban again. I am with you, and I will not forsake you or leave you. And then he promises, finally, I am able because I am. All the power resonant in the universe is resonant in God because he is the source of all power. And I want you to know that, that this is not an impersonal God. This is a God who knows your name. 
He's the I am. And, and he doesn't want to talk at the level of, of, of we'll bump into each other once in a while or, or we'll talk about a strategic plan for your life and I'll, I'll give you something and I'll give you some, and then I'll walk away for a while. No, no, he's an everyday God. He wants to have a present walk with us day by day. He wants each day, each day's journey to be intimately engaged with him. So let me ask you, is he your God? Do you know him by name? Have you responded to the call? Calling you into his family, calling you into a relationship with him? Have you said, here I am? Have you come to the place where you said, I am not? Have you come to the place where you know the great I am as your God? What does God long for from us? This book that I talked about, Francis Chan, Forgotten God, it was a Christmas present from Bronwyn to me. I won't read everything she wrote in the cover to me, but I think she's expressed what God longs to hear from his own children. I love you so much. And this year especially, I've come to understand that your love for me is unshakable. That's what God wants. He wants us to look to him and say, who is God? I'll tell you who my God is. I love him. And I have come to believe that his love for me is unshakable. Because he's the great I am. Our Father... We have gathered this morning to visit a place of worship. Not because the bricks and mortar or this location is anything special, but because you have met with us. This is a holy place. Father, I pray this morning, as our heads are bowed and I know the Holy Spirit is doing business, I, I just know that you want me to ask the question. As our heads are bowed, I, I wonder if there's anybody out here this morning who says, you know what, Pastor Rick, this morning I am hearing the call of God. I know he's calling me. I've never responded to him before, or I've responded, but I've let my life go adrift. And I want to say to the Lord, here I am. I know I'm nothing. I am not. I, I've, I've settled it with lesser gods. They are not cutting it for me. And I know your name, and your name is I am. Your name is a covenant-keeping God. You are the saving God. You will rescue me out of the slavery of my sin and out of myself, and you will take me to a new life. Is there anybody here this morning where our heads are bowed that would slip their hand up and say, I want to answer God's question I want to say, here I am. Is there anybody this morning? Just slip up your hand. God has been knocking at the heart of your door, yes. Somebody else? Somebody else, yeah. I see that, yes. Okay, back there. Anybody else? Up in the balcony, anybody? Okay, I see you. Anybody else? Here I am, God. 
I want to say yes to your invitation. Personal God, personal invitation, yes. Father, you see those who've responded. You are an inviting God. May those who are saying, here I am, may they follow through by your power to experience all that you have as the great I am for them, I pray in Jesus' name. those of you who responded, I want to encourage you after the service, our pastors gather down here and we'd love to pray with you to really seal that commitment that you've made with God this morning. So you come down and you visit with one of us. But right now we're going to stand to our feet. Pastor Steve and the team are going to lead us in a closing song. A song that will, yeah, stand. Rise to your feet. You know, we're in the presence of our great God. God has done great things among us. God is a saving God. God is a rescuing God. God is a covenant-keeping God. God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And it is time for us to gather together and to stand to our feet and to worship Him as we close this service because He is truly worthy of all our worship and our praise and our honor and our adoration. Those who know your name trust you. His name is the great I am, Yahweh, our Father and our God. In your presence we are forever because you are the great I am. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, at the name of Jesus, his name is Lord. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is our confession, Lord. This is our praise. This is our thanksgiving to you who love us. And we've come to know, Lord, that your love for us is unshakable. In Jesus' name.